the experience of being on The WAN Show with Linus and Luke. So most of you likely know that I was on The WAN Show today. Basically, there was a bit of a misunderstanding. If you watched my previous rambles, you know what it was. That just led to Linus saying, hey, come on the show and we can have a conversation about it. You know, I can apologize and we can hash out any potential beef, which there wasn't really any to begin with. It was more, you know, it was a misunderstanding and a bit of an awkward situation. So it was just easier to resolve by going on the show. It was a fun experience being on the WAN show. Sorry I spoke quite fast, everyone. Maybe a bit of nerves, but honestly, I often get into that mode when speaking to people. Thanks, Linus and Luke. Wish you the best with it all. So normally, I suspect you'd want me just to be like free-flowing and just explain how the experience was, but I wrote something in a community post, which just reading is probably a bit easier. Seeing the -the behind-the-scenes dynamic between Linus, Luke, and the rest of the team members was certainly interesting. Very friendly and joking, yet with an undercurrent of, okay, but stuff needs to get done. I'm not sure to what degree I was understandable on the show, as I am a far better writer than I am a speaker, but I hope you enjoyed it. Regardless of the result or how I appeared, it was worth doing if for nothing else it is one more story slash memory I will have. I know people give Linus flack for things, but I think this is in part due to how vocal he is about his views and his willingness to take firm stances when other people would just keep silence. I respect the guy and not just for his willingness to do that. I don't like to call myself a fan of anything, but I have watched Luke and Linus on the WAN show for many years, so I am happy that our initial awkward interaction should not be something that taints the show for me. Despite what some may say, I usually find myself quite uncomfortable with direct attention when placed on me personally rather than my work. My life is a fairly constant battle between my desire to keep my head down and the feeling that I should combat what I view as unfair and or harmful in the world. I'm not sure if today I combated or fed into the claim that I am a toxic drama queen masquerading as a decent level-headed guy, as one Redditor put it. Even prior to this event, however, I have found myself coming to care less about being labeled that way by those who don't actually know me and don't really care to. Yeah, I did swear once, that's true. Did you watch the video? And they're like, no, fuck you. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I think you mean um, and, you. And it, it, it was a tad awkward when they cut you off during the tiger analogy. Yeah, he switched scene or something briefly and it cut your feed for a moment when it changed back. Oh, oh, I see. So he didn't, oh, it cut off my mic. I doubt he meant to do that. Wait, a tiger analogy? So it's an analogy to explain how merely having consent doesn't necessarily make something ethical. You have a salesman who has a stone that he claims protects people from tigers and he's selling it for 10 grand. And so some person's like, oh, that's a great thing. I'm afraid of tigers, so uh, I will buy your stone for 10 grand. So there's consent there. There's the person consenting to pay the money and there's the person consenting to part with the stone. But there's clearly an undercurrent of like deception there in that the salesman might not actually believe that the stone protects people from tigers and therefore it's just swindling this person. So that's the first level. But there's another level where the salesman could legitimately believe that the stone protects people from tigers. Therefore, both parties have the exact same perception of what the stone stone does and they're both consenting to the exchange. But an outside observer who looks at that still would not go, that's a good exchange or that's a good thing for society because you don't believe that the stone does anything. So ultimately you have people, one person who in your mind is being taken advantage of by another person, even if no one in that arrangement agrees. And it's just to, to showcase that as an outside observer, an exchange can take place where everyone is consenting and you can still have issues with it on ethical level. And you can still believe that the people, if they knew more information, if they were more informed, wouldn't engage in that exchange. And that's the position I have in regards to a lot of content that is labeled as reaction content. That if the people involved were more aware of what they were doing, the exchange wouldn't happen. Overall, I find such experiences quite draining. Like talking to people in general is something that I find draining. Being in front of that many people and and talking to uh, very big time creators is uh, 
more draining than that. I didn't expect them to reference uh, my series as something that was impactful to their decisions. When I heard what Linus was saying, a lot of it rang as sounding similar to things I've said and my work in general. And so there was that speculation uh, amongst myself and my mods that maybe someone on the staff had seen my work. Having it confirmed is was good to hear, certainly. There was probably like 20, 25 minutes of testing before the show actually started. A lot of pressing and testing of buttons, moving of microphones, moving table up and down, camera from side to side. Uh, is this lighting good? Is it bad? Um, a lot of like just general casual jokes between the team. As I like, I, I said on the show, like the behind the scenes was quite amusing. Uh, some Somewhat boring at times, but like there was a jovial friendly attitude with everything that was being done. And so yeah, then the show started. It was uh, fairly good as far as I'm aware. I touched on the notes I wanted to touch on, but as I said, and as Linus said, it wasn't like we disagreed on a heap, so we weren't gonna trade blows on some issue. When you talk for a long period and you cover a lot of things, it's hard to keep track of everything you want to say in regards to everything that was said, especially, you know, as the audience might lose track as well. AI Seinfeld channel taking over Twitch. So continuing in the developments of what AI is doing in the content creator space, someone created an AI that creates an infinite supply of like Seinfeld-esque comedy in a uh, Seinfeld-esque setting, if you remember the show. It's called Watch Me Forever. So at any given time, you can click in here. There's currently 14,000 people watching. I was walking down the street the other day and this guy comes up to me and says, hey buddy, can you spare some change? I was like, nah man, sorry. All I got is a Chuck E. Cheese token. So then the guy says, what's a Chuck E. Cheese token? I was like, it's my life. I'm always trying to jump from one token to the next. Anyway, I'm sure you all can relate. Who else is living off Chuck E. Cheese tokens here tonight? So it's a show about nothing that on occasion can say things that do come off as humorous. But because it's all in this weird AI sort of format, it's, it's amusing even when it's not funny sometimes. Of course, it's not just him sitting in front of a microphone. It's like all the sort of scenes that happen in Seinfeld in different rooms. Like you can see that's George, that's Elaine, that's either Kramer or Jerry. I assume it's Kramer. There's probably Jerry. Or at least approximations of them. And it goes for 24 hours a day. Has 125,000 followers and currently has 15,000 viewers. For you, it's terrifying. I question how much of this is a sincere interest in this comedy and this content versus it just being a novelty. In the same way that once upon a time, Twitch controls Pokemon took over the internet and was just like the biggest thing with tens of thousands of viewers. Like that channel is still going and people are still playing, but it's got 79 viewers now. You can still see it still has a lot of followers from back in the day, but it's just nothing. And when the novelty wears off, like what's left? It is hard to imagine that the level of AI that we have now will ever be good enough to truly replace an actual person in the long term. But I mean, then again, a lot of content creators only have like a, a couple of years of life in terms of popularity. The most popular thing I have ever done, most don't know I did. So when I reflect on what is the most popular thing that I've ever done or produced, like what is the thing that the most people conceivable have seen? The answer to that question is something that I'd probably say that most people are completely unaware I even did. 
If you love GTA 5, you likely have already seen an incomplete version of this clip. Four years ago I uploaded this old speedrunning strategy and it still gets shared around to this day. Davey, how you doing? What the hell? Was that really necessary? I don't know what you're talking about. So this is from my Facts and Glitches episode 3, back in March 2019. But a shortened version of the clip was taken and like shared on Reddits. It was given a, in some cases, a song, I just want to party all the time, party all the time, before he actually dives out of the blimp. There have been recreations of it with like planes or helicopters. Other people have of course done the blimp strat inspired by the clip. And so those clips have gotten around as well. I didn't even find this strategy and it has long since become obsolete, but I covered it in the Facts and Glitches series like almost immediately after it was made. Unfortunately, I can't remember who found the strategy. It wasn't uh, one of the top runners at the time. Of that, I'm fairly certain. In fact though, the only reason I have this footage of me doing it is because originally I was going to use footage of Burhack doing it. But at the time, me and Burhack were not the best of friends or whatever. And so I was like, I probably shouldn't use his footage then. And so I made like 10 attempts and eventually got it. And so this was my first time ever getting the strategy working. And the reason why I call this a remastered version is because the original edit wasn't very good. And in the original version, I dubbed over Dave, where in this case, I used lines that Dave says throughout the game to uh, have him like allude to the idea that Dave knows that he landed with the blimp, when in reality, of course, the game is not that sophisticated. It's not, he can't register that uh, Michael arrived in a blimp. Yeah, I just think this is an interesting story, an interesting part of my history that if I ever eventually get around to making that iceberg video would be in there, of course, because there's a lot of stuff that people are unaware that I've done, for better or worse, that um, people probably be interested to know about. How many views do you think this short will get? Not many, I don't think. Like, the reason why they trimmed down the original footage is because it works better trimmed down. This little lead up here does not help the clip. Indeed, Dave saying those additional lines and Michael saying the additional line probably don't help the clip either. It was better shorter, but I wanted to make it this way, even if it is uh, suboptimal in terms of retention. TikTok staff choose what goes viral on their platform. This was interesting. I saw this on TikTok, funnily enough, but TikTok has been outed as not having some of their viral trends being inspired by community and actual interest, but them like pushing a button on the back end to make things go viral. TikTok's secret heating button can make anyone go viral. And the article basically talks about how there's just a bunch of people in the company who can be like, hey, uh, I want this video to be like super popular. Button. And then everyone starts seeing that video. And of course, anything shared to enough people is eventually going to get some likes and some genuine interest and stuff and actually get shared around. Because people talk about what's popular, right? People talk about what everyone else has seen. So it's like a viral making button. It's not like it's always just a matter of like, like some expert conceiving that this would actually be a great viral trend. Often it's like a matter of nepotism where a person be like, oh, my girlfriend's got like a cool new video out. Fuck yeah, heat that shit. Give that to everyone. My videos are great. Heat that shit, give it to everyone. It also references how companies that 
TikTok wants a, a business relationship with, they're like, oh, that company just released a video. Heat that shit. So the company's like, oh, we're doing great on TikTok. I guess we're gonna get more involved in TikTok. Did the same thing with influencers. Like, hey, just uh, just try a few videos on TikTok. You know, maybe they maybe they'll do good. Who knows? The, let, let's see. Then the creator makes some videos, and then TikTok just like heat that shit, and they get some viral stuff, and so the creator keeps making stuff for TikTok. A shady as fuck. Is it naive for me to say that I don't think YouTube does this? I just think TikTok being in China maybe makes them more culturally willing to do this kind of stuff. I think YouTube would be too afraid of it coming out and everyone being fucking mad. It's impossible to tell, but like you have to remember that YouTube became a thing like before a lot of money was involved, before the whole social media apparatus was a thing really much at all. The YouTube is really fucking old and they're on top of the mountain and all they're doing is trying to not lose that place. With TikTok, new person to the game wants to have every shady trick in the book to try to try to get ahead and compete. Like a long time ago, Susan Wojcicki was talking to some mainstream influencers, people who aren't in the social media game, like a, maybe it was a rapper or something. And she was like at a party with them and she was caught on camera saying, oh, you should make some videos for YouTube. We'll get you popular. We'll get you uh, get you working there or something. And people interpreted this to be like, oh, sh she'll be on the back end twisting the knobs to get this person popular. But in the context of what she was saying, it just seemed to be like she wanted to give the person resources, like potentially editors or to explain how content creation works online to get them set up with a channel and whatnot. And not necessarily to tweak algorithms in that way. Especially considering that YouTube has released papers talking about how some like parts of the algorithm works and how some of it is almost not understandable because it's it's machine learning. Like you can see the results, but you don't know exactly how it got those results. It'd be strange if a company as big and as old as Google and YouTube has just a bunch of people on the back end being able to just tweak the algorithm whenever they want to to fuck with the system, to change what is popular, even when the machine learning algorithm says, no, this shouldn't be popular. Will Smith's YouTube channel is pretty popular because he's a very popular dude and he makes good content, at least relative to the rest of the platform. In the same way that um Jack Black has a very popular YouTube channel. And it's like, obviously, he's Jack Black. I mean, they've done stuff like that. Remember, Leafy is here. But what do you mean? Leafy is here violated the terms of service for, like, eons. <laughs> that dude did everything humanly possible to get himself banned. YouTube trending never made sense to me. YouTube trending... I am fairly certain is somewhat hand-cated. I think they've been willing to admit that. You've got to remember that the trending tab is not a great source of views. Like think how often you personally go to the trending tab to see what is the most popular thing in the world. It is clearly going to be less relevant to your interest than just your homepage, which, you know, the algorithm is doing its best to show you things you actually want to see. Trending isn't irrelevant. Like when you get on trending, it's like, oh good, it means my video is doing well and maybe I'll get a handful more views, but it doesn't like define your success. Like I can conceptually understand why that would be the case if they are doing that. Because it's not catered to the interests of the user. Like I have personally scrolled the top 100 things on the trending tab, more for just the interest of what the tab is doing and then nothing of interest. The algorithm would be like, why the fuck did you spend the time on the trending tab? You could just spend it on your homepage and within like two scrolls found something you wanted. Like what I'm saying is, I can understand why TikTok would want to do this kind of stuff as it's just getting into the game to get people to jump ship to TikTok. But YouTube, who are they going to trust to overrule 
its many decades long built algorithm to determine what should be popular. Yo Frank, do you like some stuff? So the algorithm that we've spent billions of dollars developing, the greatest algorithm that has ever been invented by humankind for distributing content. Uh, can you like overrule it every once in a while based on your own personal interests? Thanks Frank. Guess we'll never know I suppose, but. This new NVIDIA AI technology ensures you never look away from the lens again. So NVIDIA has released something that is pretty impressive. It's this thing where it uses AI to make it so that your eyes are looking at the camera regardless of where you're looking. One of the comments that I got a lot during my anti-react series where I, uh, it was all scripted, was some people would say, you aren't always looking at the camera. And the reason for that is, it is really hard to memorize 40 pages and uh, whatever, how many that one particular video was, and, and just speak to the camera. It takes infinitely longer. But if I could have something like this, where I'm just reading from a script and my eyes will look at the camera, that'd be way better. I haven't tested this out myself because I haven't had reason to, Especially as when I heard about it the first time, it was a long time ago and you had to be like a developer or you needed like special credentials and stuff to get involved and so I couldn't get access. But now it seems to be more available to the public. And so next time that I need to make a scripted video, I might look into this. Like I hope there's some add-on for OBS where this can be added into it. I guess it depends on how good it looks as to whether or not I'd use it. People played through GTA 5 without understanding this key feature. Never forget that there are people who played through the entirety of GTA 5 and didn't use, or in some cases even know about, the character's special abilities. I didn't know Trevor was invulnerable until I found this channel. I thought he did extra damage and maybe reduced damage received. 1k upvotes. I always knew about and how to use Franklin's ability. I never even realized what Michael's ability was until after I beat the game. I knew about Trevor's ability but never understood it until my third playthrough. On my first playthrough, I didn't know Trevor's ability reduced damage received, so missions like Crystal Maze were incredibly hard. I had aim assist on for my first playthrough, so Michael and Trevor's special ability seemed kind of useless. Franklin's special on the other hand was an absolute game changer after being so used to the vehicle handling in GTA 4. So people have asked me, do I think GTA 6 will have special abilities like GTA 5? And my answer is no, for reasons like this. You could say it's somewhat Rockstar's fault for not telegraphing the abilities more, especially because on controller, to activate the ability, like you have to click in both joysticks. So it wasn't for everyone just a, a thing that you're gonna stumble across or something that's very easy to use. It's one of the main complaints about using a controller when speedrunning. I think they use macros like, to fix it, I can't remember. But that is not an easy function. And so like if you miss the prompt in the top left hand corner that's like, hey yo, you got special abilities, you might not know about them for the rest of your playthrough because they don't get mentioned again. Except like, you know, Lamar, it has a vague reference to uh, Franklin doing that squinty eye thing or, or whatever he does. And the game was easy enough that people didn't desperately need to struggle and find these abilities, right? Like they could get through without them. And you gotta hate to be the person at Rockstar who spent all the time programming in these abilities and making sure they all work perfectly and very few people ended up using them. Like for speedrunning, they're of course very important because it matters how fast we do things. But if you're not worried about that, then in a way, it probably makes the games less fun using those abilities. Because you don't get that satisfaction of that perfect headshot, because you're just using Michael's dead eye to shoot someone immediately in the head, using Trevor's ability to just not take any damage. I don't think it really improves the game for a casual experience. I could poll people, probably pointless, but I do think people on PC probably would have been more using of these abilities 
than people on console. Because caps lock is just such, so much more of a more accessible button. The unseen episode of GTA 5 Chaos mod. So the previous episode of Chaos had multiple issues. I had a mod that was just meant to boost the cutscene audio, but it actually boosted any audio that occurred around the cutscene. Whenever a sound would play with Chaos, it was of course really loud if it was in during that cutscene period. I had the audio in the game on six bars when I normally do four, so the huge increase as well. But worst of all, in OBS, I set it so that the game audio was captured on every single audio track. So it was impossible for me to just increase or decrease the volume of the game in post in my editing software without impacting my voice as well. So it was like four different audio issues all coincidentally happening on the exact same episode. And I looked at it and I'm like, this episode wasn't even that good anyway. So I'm just gonna redo the episode basically. Although the footage did end up on my VOD channel, so if you want to go watch it there, feel free. The reason my views are up 6,400%. So for those who are unaware, Social Blade is a website where you can look up like the analytics that are public for various different YouTube channels. It's never exactly right. It does show a very wide range for some of the analytics, but it's still useful. But looking at my analytics on Social Blade right now look very strange. The combination of unlisting a bunch of videos last month and my shorts taking off this month makes my view increase percentage look insane, huh? <laughs> Stop reading the ha. Huh? The unlisted videos were my older rambles, by the way, still watchable via the playlist. So my channel isn't going that great right now. It's getting like seven to eight million actual views, but the shorts are doing great. So it's showing that I have 40 million views, even though, you know, 32 million of those are not getting any money at all. But the reason why it has such a high percentage is because my view graph looks like this. Ah. <laughs> so it shows me it's getting 1.3 million views in December. And this was, it only shows public views. So in December, I unlisted all those rambles. So rather than showing the 30 million views or whatever I got that month, it deducted the 29 million views that those rambles had got collectively off my total. And so now it's comparing this number to my most recent view numbers and saying, oh, it's gone up 6,402%. And I found that funny. Did the quality of my videos decline over time? So I got an interesting comment here on the daily struggle, the hardest choices, how this even ended, number 31. I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but it's crazy how much your video quality has improved since these older videos. And I responded, editing every single day for four years will do that, huh? You should have seen the first generation of How This Even Ended videos that was made into the clips videos and started the How This Even Ended playlist was even lower quality. Now, I wonder how much of what this person's talking about is like the editors who now help me make stuff. But obviously, like if you compare the videos that I've made personally, whether it be pacifist or just general videos, even facts and glitches, like obviously even my simplest of edits have become far better. I've often said you can look at Pacifist episode one and Pacifist, well, the latest episode, and you can see how I've developed as an editor over time. And it does fill me with pride. But the thing that stood out to me most about this comment is that How This Even Ended episode is four years old. Four years old. Like I'm now past 10 years of making content to some degree. It's just a weird thing to reflect on how much of my life has been dedicated to Worrying about YouTube and making stuff for YouTube and whatnot. Weird to think about. This Wheel of Time reveal 10 years later blew my mind. So this is something that none of you are going to care about. But I'm going to mention anyway. 
So one of my favorite book series of all time is The Wheel of Time. I read it multiple times as a kid. It was a book series I read as it released. I think I must read like the sixth book in the series like five times because it was the newest one out at the time. I would sit in class reading The Wheel of Time. I remember being down the south coast with two of my friends and I was walking through the bookstore and I saw on the shelf the final book of The Wheel of Time, something I didn't know was coming out. It'd been so many years since the previous one and I hadn't kept up with it. And I can still remember the feeling of absolute excitement and joy at seeing this book. And I, I was like, I just want to abandon my friends, just go home and just sit in my room and read this book. It shaped my imagination, like my view of what a fantasy world is for all of my life. It potentially until finding Brandon Sanderson, who has now had a significant impact because I'm now reading through his books. And he, 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 the way he constructs worlds is very interesting. But Brandon Sanderson, for those who don't know, the original author of The Wheel of Time, Robert Jordan, died before he finished the book series. But Brandon Sanderson, a prolific fantasy author, was brought on by Robert Jordan's wife to use his notes and Brandon Sanderson's love of the series to finish off the book series. And depending on who you ask, will depend on how well people think he, he actually achieved that goal of like continuing the sort of vibe of the series and finishing it. I think he did a, a pretty good job. It's just some people make critiques like some of Brandon Sanderson's visions of the characters were somewhat different than how they were in the original series. But regardless, we were better off getting an ending than getting none at all, right? But because of Brandon Sanderson's closeness to the series and finishing of it, he has in-depth knowledge of the series that no one else does. And he revealed something near the end that most people didn't catch on to. So I found out about this from Daniel Green's video, The Big Wheel of Time Reveal. He references, of course, a video from Brandon Sanderson. Just a little interview thing he does here. And the reveal is, spoilers, Lanfear lives. So none, most of you haven't read the series, so you guys have no goddamn idea what I'm talking about. But when this is revealed, I was like, oh, yeah. Thinking about it, that makes a lot of sense. I do remember while reading, thinking that her end in the series, I was like, that's kind of a stupid ending, right? Like, surely... She shouldn't be defeated so easily. And the the implications, he's like, yeah, she was using all her knowledge of the dream world and all that stuff to basically fool people into believing that she's dead because she was ultimately screwed whether or not the light or dark won. I was like, oh yeah, interesting. I feel like I should reread the whole series again, I, but I'm not going to, of course. There were so many things in that series that were never answered or were only hinted at and you have to like speculate what the answer is because it was such a long series. But uh, getting that kind of confirmation was cool to hear. So this would like be the last topic in Rambles. So if you're one of the people who love Wheel of Time as much as I do, hopefully that was interesting for you. I mean, go watch Daniel Green's video on it if you like. He does a lot of videos about fantasy books and uh, fantasy in general, I suppose. It's uh, a good channel.